0: good morning and welcome to our morning service it's good to have you here with us this morning good to have the folks on zoom as well we welcome pastor brad and lori lynn here this morning and the dear girls are here too and well Braden is here too yes brayden's <laughs> here too as well so it's good to have you folks back with us Last pastor brad to come up, please our uh, scripture text for this morning, is found in Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1. I'll start reading at verse 12 and down to chapter 2, verse 2. Using the uh, Pew Bible, that's page 1220, Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse uh, verse 12. There you go, I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) Did you hear that? Philippians 1, verse 12, page 1220. In, uh, in the Pew Bible. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church that he was instrumental in founding, uh, of which we read in Acts chapter 16. Uh, this letter was written from prison, and most uh, commentators believe that means his imprisonment in Rome, which, of course, starts in Acts chapter 28. So it's a number of years after the church had been founded. Uh, but uh, many of the themes Uh, From the founding of the church in Acts, show up in this letter as well, and that's actually what we want to uh, talk about a little bit uh, in a few minutes' time. So I'll start reading at chapter 1, verse 12, and read just into chapter 2 uh, to the second verse. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And, having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. May the Lord use His Word to strengthen and build us up in exactly uh, these Christian graces. Now, let's uh, come to the Lord and pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the amazing grace of Christ in the gospel. We thank you, Lord God, that through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the record of it in your word and the preaching of the gospel to us, wherever it was we heard it, we thank you, Lord God, that the clear message of all of these things is that to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a glorious message that can penetrate a sinful, crooked world like ours with such brilliant light of this gospel that we learn the purpose of life and that we learn the hope and glory that follows death. Please help us, Lord God, to believe it. Please help us to understand why these things matter, and may our lives be transformed by them. Father, as we talk about these things, we recognize our need of help. We thank you that you have poured out your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the ministry that he has to us when we were not yet believers. Thank you that he convicted us of sin, showed us the glory of Christ as the only answer to that sin, and drew us to yourself. And thank you for the ongoing ministry of the Spirit once we are Christians. He helps us understand the Word of God, which He provided for us. He equips us with what we need for life and service and godliness. He promises to be with us and works in our hearts so that we cry out to God and call Him Abba, Father. The Spirit of adoption bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Holy Father, in everything, we depend upon you. And we ask that you would, through your word, by your spirit, point us to Christ and help us to realize that in Christ we have all in all. Lord our God, this is particularly needed for those who are passing through times of trial. As we read through the list in the bulletin, we realize that some of these trials are severe indeed. Lord, our God, I pray that you would draw near to each one. Be with them, Lord God. Lift them up, encourage their hearts. And I pray, Lord God, that we would indeed take seriously our responsibility to lift up those who are cast down, to be an encouragement to those who might, through the bitterness of sin, turn from you. O Lord, our God, we pray that you would, with your mighty power, use your people And raise up many who are downcast. We pray also, Lord God, that through your spirit our witness would be sharp and clear. May others learn of Christ through us. And Lord our God, we pray in this regard for our missionaries. We think of the missions meeting coming up. And we pray, Lord, for what will be considered. And we ask, Lord God, that those who are serving and being supported by this assembly would also know that... In addition to the periodic checks that sustain their ministry and enable them to serve, there is a constant stream of praying, lifting them up before the Lord, and pleading, O God, that Jesus Christ would be made known. O Lord, our God, help us to work out in practice what it means when we say to live as Christ. May it fill us with joy and rejoicing. Indeed, May it be said of us that we rejoice in the Lord always. Please, Lord God, show us more of Jesus. May we see how everything is better through the blood of the Lamb. May we live as those who have been redeemed from transgression and sin. O Lord, give strength, give glory. May your name be exalted. We thank you through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, we welcome Pastor Brad and pray the Lord will bless as you open the word to us. Well, it is uh, good to be back again uh, with you. And may I say, Raelle, that Iris is no slouch either. (laughs) All right, let's uh, come to the Lord and pray together. Our Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of coming into your presence. We thank you, Lord God, for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Holy Father, that we would see in him all that we need for life and godliness. And we pray, Lord God, that even when difficulties come our way, may we still understand the glory of what it is to live for Christ, and may we still be able to rejoice. We need your strength for this Lord God this is not normal for us it is not natural to us but we thank you for the gospel and that changes everything may it be so in our lives we pray for Jesus name's sake amen being different in human society is uncomfortable it can also often make us the focus of uh, of jokes maybe even scorn And the reality is that being a Christian is to be different. Yet that kind of discomfort that I just described, even though we don't like it, is still, I think, a far cry from what Paul said to some new churches that he had planted that we read in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22. In that text, Paul and Barnabas had planted a number of churches and were on their way back to Antioch where they had started uh, and visited these churches again to give them a final word of encouragement. And it says in that verse, they were confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. That's a challenge, isn't it? They planted churches and many began in the faith, but here they're exhorting them to continue in the faith and how do they confirm and exhort them to continue in the faith? By telling them that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. What an interesting word of encouragement. We've been looking at the book of Acts in our uh, our church in Aurelia and uh, complementing it uh, from time to time with a, a look at letters written to some of these churches where, uh, where that fits. Uh, and uh, I... Although the verse I just read to you in Acts fourteen verse twenty two is really giving us the form of this message, in a in a sense it's our key text. It's really from Philippians that I want to uh, to speak to you uh, as an illustration of what this could entail. When Paul writes to the Philippian church, he's doing exactly that. He's seeking to confirm the souls of the disciples so that they would continue in the faith, knowing that through much tribulation. They need to enter the church of God. And that text effectively breaks down into three points. The conflict, the the tribulation that comes along. The comfort, how does that strengthen our souls? And the continuation, how do we carry on in this faith to the end? And that's what we want to, uh, to think about this morning. Paul arrived in Philippi, according to Acts 16, uh, by the clear leading of the Spirit. Perhaps you remember the vision of the man from Macedonia, saying, come over and help us uh, in uh, the beginning of Acts chapter 16. The missionaries, Paul and his team, get together and they confer about this vision. And they come to the conclusion that this means that they are to uh, to go to Macedonia. That that's the, the will of the Lord. So he goes to Macedonia according to the Spirit's guidance. And they go to Philippi and he is promptly thrown in jail. Now, perhaps some of us would conclude that maybe we misread the guidance of the Lord. Uh, Maybe this wasn't the right thing. But as a matter of fact, Luke is giving us, Luke the writer of Acts, is giving us this account in order to demonstrate exactly that point. Through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is not an anomaly. This is not something gone wrong. This is, in fact, what we might uh, expect. Uh, And so that's what he's trying to get the Philippian church to understand from the the founding and then now writing to them uh, a number of years later. His goal is that they would be strengthened, that they would carry on, uh, that they would face the conflict honestly, but understand the comfort that is ours in Christ and would continue to the end. Uh, So first of all, we want to think a little bit about this uh, this conflict. Uh, And so if you've got your Bibles open in front of you, uh, flip over to Philippians now, uh, and uh, we'll spend most of our our time here in in this brief uh, letter. The Apostle Paul uh, underlines the trouble that he's going through And he says in chapter 1 and verse 29, which we read in our scripture reading, uh, perhaps you noticed this and maybe even uh, scratched your head a little bit about it. Paul says in, in Philippians 1 verse 29, something different words, but something very similar to what we read in Acts 14 verse 22. He says, unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer For his sake. It is given to you to suffer for his sake. Again, these are not normally encouraging words in our way of thinking, uh, but it is granted to us by God. This is God giving this uh, to us. Those who believe in Jesus will also suffer for him. And the way Paul puts it here is that that's part of the plan. Now, when we come into suffering and trial, we sometimes say, well, couldn't the sovereign, all-powerful God prevent such suffering? And uh, the answer is pretty obvious, of course he could, Uh, but Paul would never agree with teachers who suggest that God didn't see it coming, that God doesn't know about these things until they happen. God is all-knowing. The scripture makes it clear that he knows the end from the beginning, uh, because he is God, because he is directing all things according to the counsel of his will. So Paul would never agree with that. Nor would he suggest that the reason God didn't stop it was to protect the the freedom of those who were oppressing them. God is all powerful. You read often in Scripture how He stops uh, people from uh, oppressing uh, those who are, are suffering. God never relinquishes His sovereignty to us. And yet, Paul is thankful. Why is He thankful? Because the good and wise God is in control, not the enemies of the cross of Christ, as he calls them uh, in the third chapter. After all, in Acts chapter 16, if you're familiar with Paul's time uh, in, uh, in Philippi, I already told you that he suffered when he went there. He ended up in jail. That's not all that happened. The jailer became a Christian. In other words, Paul knew very well that God, in his sovereign and wise plan, often uses suffering in our lives to advance his cause and and purpose. So Paul writes to a church to whom it has been given to suffer that they need to rejoice in the Lord. This is interesting, isn't it? For the Apostle Paul, these are encouraging words. And it's up to us to figure out from the scripture why that is the case. We will get to the comfort in due time, but we need to say a little bit about this suffering, about the conflict, the trial that has come into the lives of Paul and the Philippian church. He explains Why? At least three realities with which we're working come up in the course of his letter to the Philippians. In chapter 1 and verse 5, he talks about their fellowship in the gospel. They are partners in the gospel. They work alongside Paul. They're part of his team, even though they're not actually physically present where he's ministering. But they're partners in the gospel. Your fellowship in the gospel right from the time the church was established in Acts 16 right to this, uh, this present day. But, of course, that's one of the reasons why they're suffering. This is why it's given to them to suffer, because they live as is fitting to the gospel of Christ, according to chapter 1, verse 27. But not everyone likes that. There are, as we mentioned in chapter 3, these enemies of the cross. The message is good news, but that's not to say that The people around us identify it as good news. It certainly would be good for them if they believed it. It would redeem them. It would give them eternal hope to live as Christ, to die as gain. That would all become true for them, but they don't see it that way. And so there are enemies of the cross. The gospel itself is being opposed uh, in in Philippi, in in Sudbury, in, in Aurelia, wherever we are. The gospel is being opposed. And, and so Paul writes of his striving and conflict here. I want you to understand what's happened to me in the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, this is the way it is. And you read through the book of Acts uh, after chapter 9 where he becomes a Christian and approves it proves uh, it. You see that in the life and ministry of Paul. A second reality that Paul underlines is that we must remember that the foundation of our faith is the cross and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's foundational. And therefore, this pattern of suffering, then glory is inherent in the gospel. And there's a a few passages, I've mentioned a couple of them on your your notes, There's, there's a few passages that underline that the path Jesus took through suffering to glory is the path that those who follow Christ will take. No wonder Jesus says to his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. It's inherent in that gospel. Uh, Romans 8 verse 18 is uh, one example I, I put on there Uh I might be wrong, by the way. I think it might be verse 17. I, I was learning from the quiz this morning uh, in Sunday school. So read the context; you'll find the verse. It's pretty obvious. Uh, but First Peter one uh, says the the same thing as well. This suffering then glory. We rejoice in our trials because it it brings us to 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 glory, and therefore we're able uh, to continue to uh, to trust the the Lord. Uh, And and so the sufferings of Christ. Uh, Paul even says that in Philippians 3, uh, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. If we are partners in the gospel, we will be partners in the sufferings inherent in the gospel. It it belongs. This is why Paul is saying it's given to you to suffer. It's part of the package. It goes with the gospel. And the third reason, of course, is that the context of this gospel partnership is what Paul calls in chapter 2 a crooked and perverse generation. I've already mentioned a couple of times the enemies of the cross of Christ. He defines them as those whose God is their bellies. Uh, This is the the context in which we work. Uh, It's interesting that the imprisonment of Paul and Silas in Philippi in Acts 16, on the surface of it, was an act of revenge by people who suffered economic loss. The slave girl who was delivered uh, was no longer able to be used by her masters to earn money. And that's why they got mad at Paul and Silas. In other words, at the root of it, humanly speaking, uh, was greed. Uh, It was our God is our bellies. We're we're trying to satisfy our own desires. Uh, And that's why, humanly speaking, Paul and Silas ended up uh, in jail. Of course, Paul doesn't think on that level. He's saying it's given to you on behalf of Christ to suffer uh, for uh, for his sake. So those are some of the realities with which uh we are faced that lead to this suffering. And Paul also talks in the letter about, well, the conditions, perhaps that's not not the best uh, word, but uh Let me just explain what I I mean by that. Uh, Suffering connected to the, the work of the gospel in this hostile and foreign environment is going to find that trial is unrelenting. Until the day of Christ is a phrase that Paul uses a few times in uh, Philippians. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about uh, the day that will come when he will destroy the, uh, the last enemy. But until that time, these sufferings are unrelenting. Paul doesn't... Give the Philippians the encouragement uh, that, well, this will pass. Just just wait a few days, right? Uh, like when uh, you're young and you complain to your parents about the weather, uh, they say, well, it's not going to stay rainy forever. Uh, well, Paul says, yeah, in fact, it is going to stay rainy uh, until the day of Christ. Uh, that's the, the nature of this. It is unrelenting. And he also underlines, it is unavoidable. I already used that that phrase, uh, the fellowship of his sufferings. Uh, We are partaking of the sufferings of the Christ as he expands his kingdom. Uh, Near the end of his life, Paul tells Timothy that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Uh, Again, it's unavoidable. But now we're starting to turn to the comfort. I I know you were waiting for this. Uh, As we start to turn to the comfort The third thing Paul wants them to understand is that though the suffering may be unrelenting and though it may be unavoidable, it will also be unsuccessful. No sheep has ever been taken from the hand of the Good Shepherd. No sheep can be taken from the Father's hand. Those who are in Christ are protected The church will not be stopped, and the citizens of heaven, as Paul puts it at the end of chapter 3, will take their place. Our bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. And so all of this trial, all of this opposition to the gospel, even though at any given point in time it may seem to be successful, Paul says don't be deceived by that. As a matter of fact, it is certain to fail. It is certain to fail because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It cannot succeed because Jesus already conquered sin and death and hell. And therefore, unsuccessful. So that's the conflict. Uh, as Paul outlines it in, uh, in Philippians. What's the comfort? What could possibly cause people in that context to be rejoicing in the Lord always, as Paul says uh, near the end of the letter in chapter 4? Uh, I want to suggest to you four things by way of, uh, of comfort uh, that's going to help us, that will be our encouragement, that will lead us along the way and, and so on. The first is the comfort of partnership. Let me explain a, a little bit of the background. I've told you that the uh, the account of the founding of the church is in Acts chapter 16, and I gave you a text from Acts chapter 14. So how do we get from Acts 14 to Acts 16? Well, there was a problem. There was a huge issue in the early church as it began to reach Gentiles, that is, those who were not brought up in the Old Covenant, those who were not brought up uh, in the Jewish faith, didn't know the Old Testament rituals, and so on, the question came up, which was labeled false teaching by the church, the question came up, do those who become Christians need to be circumcised, which was a sign of the, the covenant under the Old Covenant, And keep the rituals of the law. Listen to how it's put in Acts chapter 16 and verse... uh, uh, Sorry. Acts... 15, I told you. Yes, Acts chapter 15. Boy, I really was influenced by that quiz. usually isn't that bad. uh, But anyway, uh, Acts chapter 15 and verse 5. There rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful. and, And that's the key word is needful. Uh, It's not that Paul had any problems with them being circumcised if they wanted to. In fact, in Acts 16, he encourages just that for Timothy. The key word is needful. Is it necessary for them to be circumcised? And do they need to be commanded to keep the law of Moses? By which generally they meant the food laws, uh, the special feast days, and, and so on. And this becomes a real issue. Now, if, again, if you were in the uh, the adult Sunday school class, you got some of that background uh, from Hebrews chapter 9, some of the, the theological underpinnings of this. Paul is furious about this teaching. And the reason he's furious about this teaching is that it makes the work of Christ pointless. Essentially what it's saying is that before Christ came, Through circumcision you were a member of the covenant and you kept the law of Moses and that made you right with God. If this false teaching held, it would be saying that after Christ came, you needed to be circumcised to be part of the covenant and keep the law of Moses. In other words, what's different? Nothing's different. And if nothing is different, why did Christ die? If you want the fuller explanation of this from Paul's point of view, read Galatians. Christ has died in vain. In Galatians 5, he mentions that. And he also mentions the other problem with that false teaching is that it doesn't work. You can't be saved by keeping the law. No one has ever been saved by keeping the law. For a pretty simple reason, nobody's ever done it. We can't. The law is weak through the flesh. And again, as we were told this morning, not that there's a problem with the law, there's a problem with the flesh. We don't keep it. And therefore, if you want to be under part of the law, Paul says, you have to be under the whole thing, and that means that you're under its curse. So is the law of Moses essential to being saved in Christ? And the answer from Paul and his team and ultimately from the church in Jerusalem in Acts 15, the answer is an emphatic no. So it's put to the test when Paul gets to Philippi. I mentioned that jailer. Uh, Maybe you remember the circumstances because of that economic thing I mentioned. Paul and Silas are thrown into jail and they do what anybody does in jail. They started a hymn sing. Well, they did anyway, whether anybody else does that. They started a hymn sing. And I I don't know what the jailer was thinking as he ate his bologna sandwich at the door uh, for his midnight lunch. Uh, But but suddenly there's an earthquake. And all the chains fall off. and, and, And the jailer thinks, well... What are you going to do? If, well, if your chains fall off and you're in a Roman jail, uh, suddenly the doors are open, you see daylight, you're going to bolt, right? Uh, and, and the jailer knows that when you're the jailer and your prisoners bolt in the middle of the night, you're no longer a jailer. Uh, what you are is, well, reading your last will and testament that we, uh, we talked about in Sunday school. Uh, it's over, And and so the jailer is about to kill himself because of this. And Paul says, don't do yourself any harm. We're all still here. And the jailer, of course, is entirely flabbergasted. Um, But he doesn't ask, why on earth are you still here? He says, what must I do to be saved? Now, here's the point. This was what Acts 15 was all about the Philippian jailer is asking the question, what must I do to be saved? Is the answer circumcision and the law of Moses? No. What's the answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that's what Acts 15 is about. That's what the Jerusalem council was all about. For Paul to be able to go into a jail in Philippi, And tell a Roman jailer, probably an ex-soldier, the good news of Jesus Christ. You can be saved believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the key verses early on in the book of Acts is Acts 4.12. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus saves. We call upon the name of the Lord. You shall be saved. Paul elaborates that somewhat for his own experience about his efforts to keep the law, which, uh, in fact, he did very well, as well as any human being uh, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ could do. And Paul says, I'm going to stack up everything I have accomplished. I'm going to make my profit and loss statement. I was born to the right people. I was born into the right tribe of the right people. I was circumcised the eighth day, so if you're doing your checklist, I got that one. When it came to the law of Moses, I I was blameless. Uh, You would be really hard-pressed to find anything that I did wrong. And then I put all of those things in the loss column, because they amounted to nothing. And if I trusted those things, I would lose everything. It was loss. I count them loss for the sake of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness which is of God by faith. The righteousness found in Jesus Christ. Now, that's really all background for my point here. (laughs) What this means is that anyone who is a Christian became a Christian exactly the same way. Anyone who is a Christian could not save themselves. Anyone who is a Christian has the testimony that we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The only grounds on which anyone can say I am right with God is the grounds of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ through faith in whom his righteousness is placed on me. And then, and only then, am I right with God. That's the great message of the Lord's table. Every one of us needs to partake of the body and blood of Christ. There is no other way. There is no one, not the Apostle Paul, not anyone else, who can claim any benefit. With Paul we must say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's entirely of His grace. So what does that mean? It means that in all of this world, in this whole universe, There are those who stand in opposition to the gospel. They oppose Jesus Christ. They will achieve their own standing with whatever God they believe exists. They will deal with it themselves. And there is a community of those who know how pointless and foolish that is. And they are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That's us. And we're in this together. This is why, as Paul thinks about this, he says, I want you, in verse 27 of chapter 1, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In verse 30, after saying it's given to you to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, now here to be in me. Therefore, if any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship, any bowels of mercy, grace and compassion, fulfill my joy that you be like minded. Partnership in the gospel. Sharing together in the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore sharing together in the task of the gospel and therefore sharing together in the sufferings of the task of the gospel. We're not in this alone. We encourage each other. We have the same mind. We have the same love. We are focused on Jesus Christ. We can say with Paul, if Christ is preached, I rejoice. Because that's the point. That's what saves That's what this world needs to hear. There's the comfort of partnership. More briefly, there's the comfort of power. Much of what I've talked about, as we think about it, makes us have this sense of hopelessness start to creep in. I can't do that. Paul was an amazing man, we say to ourselves. He was able to face this suffering and have a hymn sing in jail after being beaten. I could never do that. Now the mistake is not, I could never do that. It's not natural for any of us. The mistake is to think that Paul could. He never thought so. He pleads with his churches, pray for me, that I may make this known clearly and boldly. Pray for me that I might speak as I ought to speak. What's the encouragement that he gives this Philippian church? That the Lord Jesus who humbled himself to the death of the cross has now been highly exalted. And what lesson does that teach us? He stated it at the beginning of the letter in verse 6 of chapter 1. God will finish what he starts. He who began this work will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, the phrase, it is given to you to suffer, becomes a word of comfort. Because the God who gave us that word raised Christ from the dead. The God who gave us that word is doing a work that saves Philippian jailers of all people. He is able to accomplish what he sets out to do, and he will finish it. He is at work. And that's why our place in this, even though it involves the suffering and trial, is a confident place. So in chapter 2, Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, the hopelessness is starting to creep back in again a little bit. I'm supposed to work this out, but then you've got the next verse. Why? Because God is at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do you see what Paul is hammering home? It is God at work, and God finishes what he starts. Can you do this on your own? No, but nobody's asking you to. God works. God finishes his work. We know that because Christ humbled himself to the death of the cross, and God highly exalted him. And has given him the name which is above every name. Paul's application of this is do all things without murmurings and disputings. Okay, I won't ask for a show of hands. I almost did. Anybody murmur today yet? Uh, I'd guess it's at least 50 50. <laughs> if you were camping in the rain yesterday, maybe, you know, 99 to 1. Murmuring and disputing, we're good at that. And when Paul uses that expression, he's actually recalling Israel in the wilderness. Murmuring and disputing is unbelief. They didn't believe God could get them to the promised land. They didn't believe that God could finish what he started. And therefore, they muttered under their breath the whole way. Paul says, look, you got to work out your salvation. But understand, you do that because God is at work in you. And because of that, God finishes what He starts. And because of that, stop the complaining and get on with it. Press on. Because God is at work. The comfort of power. Paul wants to know Christ the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. There's also the comfort of promise. Chapter 3, verse 10, the verse I just quoted, if by any means, verse 11, I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I'd already attained, Uh, again in Sunday school, the now and not yet thing. Paul says, okay, that's the goal. I've already got this. That's the goal. Not quite there yet. But, I follow after it, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Again, a reminder, this is God's work. This is God doing this. And so I press toward the mark because the pattern is suffering and glory. You remember that from earlier? Suffering, then glory. We think about that glory and we press toward the mark. There's comfort in keeping our eyes on the goal. And that enables us to do what we need to do in the process. The fact that we have the promise of glory does not, in Paul's theology anyway, cause us to sit around and wait, but to be up and doing. Work out your salvation because you know you're going to reach the goal. We are called to this in Christ. And then in chapter 4, the comfort of peace. Verses 6-9. through nine. Be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, shall guard your hearts and minds. Uh, Is Paul thinking back to his experience in the Philippian jail? There was this jailer walking back and forth in front, guarding the prisoners. Well, he says, you know what, if you're a Christian, you're trusting Christ, it's the peace of God walking back and forth, not to keep you in but to keep afflictions out Uh, it's not going to throw you the he is and then as you read on a little bit more in verse 9 the reason we can know the peace of god what's the name of god in verse 9 the god of peace god is inherently the god of peace and therefore we know the peace of god guarding our hearts We rest in Him. What does Paul want us to do? Well, pray. We're not in this alone. If it's God's project, and if it's done in the strength that God supplies, then pray. Depend on Him. And as you do, the peace of God guards your hearts. Now, I mentioned Acts 14, verse 22 as our basic outline, our basic text. We've talked about the conflict that's there. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. We've also underlined that Paul says this in order to strengthen their souls, and therefore it's full of comfort. But the ultimate aim of Paul is that they wouldn't give up, that they would continue, continue to the end. And and he mentions a couple of things. First of all, as he opens the letter, he talks about the confirmation of, of the gospel in verse seven uh, he's writing to this thanking god for them because of their partnership even as it is meet or proper for me to think this of you all because i have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel ye all are partakers of my grace in other words the first thing that paul wants to make sure is that you know that the gospel is good news you're going to be surrounded by all kinds of people who will say it's not good news for any kind of reason. But Paul says, no, look, be sure of this. It's good news. This gospel is powerful and effective. Understand what this gospel is. Paul never tires of repeating it. He tells his testimony again and again in his letters. He wants us to understand the power of Christ To save the most unexpected people. And if the Philippian jailer was unexpected, Paul was more so. He was a persecutor of the church. God saved him. Understand what this gospel is. Believing in Jesus Christ is not opening negotiations with God, it's finished. Jesus said that on the cross. It's finished. The good news of the gospel is putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul wants them to be sure of this. And not just this church. You always find that in Paul's letters. Be sure. The confident understanding of the gospel. You know what God is doing, not because you guessed right. Not because you're particularly brilliant or even particularly spiritual. You know it because God showed it. God said it. He revealed it in Jesus Christ. Be sure of these truths. You and I would do ourselves a great deal of good if we made it our business to know more about Jesus and about his saving power. There would be astonishing comfort in that, Having underlined that then, he twice in this letter tells them to stand, as in stand firm. In chapter 1, verse 27, he said that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. How many things make us murmur we already hinted at? Most of those things also make us go at each other's throats. Paul says no. It doesn't fit the gospel. Live in a way that fits the gospel. And if the gospel is that there's only one Savior, there can only be one people. We need to be in harmony. We need to be standing together. The comfort of partnership, the safety in numbers. Believers in Jesus may have to stand alone at work or maybe in their family, but ultimately we're called to stand together. Uh, you've probably thought about this before when you're reading the New Testament. You seem to come across the phrase one another quite a bit. What's the new commandment? That you love one another. In Hebrews 3, exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. One another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Stand together in the gospel. And the other use of the word stand is in chapter 4 and verse 1. My brethren, Dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Obviously, Paul loves this church. But they don't stand in Paul. They stand in the Lord. Know who your God is. Sometimes things are hard, very hard. But didn't Jesus say, in this world you shall have tribulation? Didn't Paul say, through much tribulation we enter the kingdom of God and those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution? Are we still surprised when it happens? It's hard, but it is not hopeless because Jesus died and rose again the power of his resurrection. He went from suffering to glory. Hebrews 6, he stands as our forerunner, having entered into that holy place already for us, interceding for us. As we said earlier, no one plucks one sheep from the hands of Father and Son. Stand together and stand fast. In the Lord. May God help us know the consolation of Christ and the comfort of fellowship with Him. Let's pray. Thank you, our Father, that we can look to You, we can find everything we need in Christ, and we pray that You would encourage our hearts, build us up, point us towards Him. And Lord our God, help us as we are strengthened and encouraged to lift each other up. O Lord our God, this is good news. May there not be an evil heart of unbelief in any of us. This is worth believing. It's worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the plan. And God finishes what he starts. So help us, Lord God, to stand fast. For Jesus' name's sake, amen. Thank you, Pastor Brad.